So we're in a new series we started last week called Address This Mess. And um, here's what we said. How many of you remember what we said? The last statement that I put on the screen, I know, Travis, um, that we put on the screen, the last thing we said last Sunday. All right, we're going to help you out because you weren't paying attention. I know a mess when I see one because I am one. All right, say that. Dude, I didn't think you could be any worse than the first service, but that was worse than the first service. All right, let's try again. All right, we agreed that we're all messes, life is messy, um, and that every one of us is a hot mess in some area. If you weren't here, be sure and get the the CD, or or you can get it from uh, our website as well. All of our our sermons are on there as well. Um, What we said was, because your life is messy and because my life is messy, it becomes very easy to use this excuse about our mess, to say, nobody's perfect. But when you say nobody's perfect, you are admitting that there is a perfect that nobody is. Right? How do you know what imperfect is unless there's a perfect standard to judge it against? There is a standard, I fall short. If I could change the standard, I would, but I didn't make up the standard. I can't change it. I just fall short of it on a regular basis. So what we said was the first step is to acknowledge that you're a mess, that you have made messes. And when you do that, you're baby steps away from not only discovering that God exists, but that God exists in the middle of your mess. Now, some of you know, and, and I thought this was funny, Michelin, they told me that you thought this would be a great uh, t-shirt slogan. So what I talked about last week was a hot mess and, and that, that <laughs> it's, it's, there's nothing particular that shows that someone is, is, a, is above average train wreck. They just say, I'm a hot mess. So she said the t-shirt slogan would be, I'm not an, a hot mess, I'm an above average train wreck. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, but you know what that means to be a hot mess means you know that your circumstances on the outside look better or you look better than your circumstances should allow. You're a hot mess in some area. You may be dressing up and putting on a smile and pretending it's not there. And it becomes real easy at church to look around and say, they've got it easy. They've got it easy. They haven't walked in my shoes and to think somebody else's life is better than your life. But the worst part about this is some of you, your messes are so big. You don't know where to start to clean it up. Your past is so messed up that you don't know how to start. You don't know if you can clean it up by yourself. And then the absolute worst part of your mess is that in most instances, it's your fault. You were warned. There were signs everywhere. You ignored God. You ignored your parents. You ignored your conscience. You ignored your friends. You chose to do it anyway. You made the mess. Now, last Sunday night, we had a picnic uh, at the park at Reagan Park. We had a blast hanging out there. And, and you know, there's lots of laughter going on. And I looked around and I thought, these are messy people, but these are my messy people. And I had so much fun. Um, there was good natured trash talk going on at the, at the washer's pit because we were, we were terrible. Um, you were better than everybody. How come you lost? Uh, just, just saying. Um, but we were so bad that we had to change the scoring so that we could get there. And then I think the game after us, they took an hour. Um, we told lots of stories while they were over there trying to play. Anyway, the, the whole point was I looked around at some point and I thought every one of us is a mess. And when Janie and I loaded up to, to go home, I thought, I love these people. We didn't clean up any messes. We didn't solve anybody's problems. We just enjoyed life together and my heart was full when I drove away. And I thought, you know, here's the deal. This is what church is supposed to be. Your mess can bring you closer to somebody else when you pretend, when you don't pretend you don't have a mess. 
When you're honest, when you take off a mask, it's what we do at a church. We do this all the time. We try to, to be totally honest. We're messes. Here's our mess. It can bring you closer to somebody else. And in fact, uh, as I was studying this week, God brought to mind this verse. I didn't even put it on the screen. It, it just, he brought it to me yesterday. Proverbs twenty-seven ten. the second half of the verse says, a friend nearby is better than relatives far away. My closest relatives are about three hours away, but I know that if I am in a mess, I know the people in this church will help me. And if you want that, you've got to get involved. You've got to open up and, and, and get to know other people. But not only does your mess have the potential to, to bring you close to other people, this is what we looked at last week, John three sixteen. Your mess is what brought God near. Um, John three sixteen says, and we said, for, for God so loved all the messy people of the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, everlasting life. But it's better than God just came near. Your, ne- your mess brought him near, but, but today we're going to talk about it's better than that. We're going to look at John 3.17. Who knows John 3.17 by heart? Somebody recite that for me right now. John 3.17. No one? See, I know, I know. Nobody ever puts it on a poster. How many of y'all have seen John 3.16 at a football game or something like that? Go ahead and put that up there, Travis. Y'all, through the years, anyone? This one was actually at a baseball game, and it was just... To the, to, if you're looking at the screen, just to the left of home plate. And I, you know, I guess they were just hoping somebody would, what is John 316? Look that up. I don't know. So I was, I was looking at all these examples of John 316. And, and then I came across this one. Oh wait, no, that's John in a dress. That's, that's not John 316. Sorry. Um, Tim Tebow puts it on his eye black. How come nobody does John 317? It gets ripped off. John 316. Everybody knows. Not John 3, 17. Well, let's look and see what it says. If you, if you are in a mess, I want you to realize that you need to hear what this verse has to say. The mess that you don't want anybody to know, the mess you wish you could undo, the mess that has, has bothered you for the longest might be the mess that God uses to make himself known to you in a, in a more personal way than you've ever known before. Here's what he says. In John three seventeen, for God did not send his son into the world to, what's that word? Condemn the world. How many of you have ever felt condemned? That's fewer than in the first service. How many of you have ever felt condemned? I mean, really? Okay, there we go. There's, there's more of us. Is, is, is the condemnation that someone else throws toward you, is that a pleasant thing? No. Jesus didn't come to condemn you. God also didn't spare his own son. Jesus was condemned. So he knows what it feels like to be condemned. He did not send his son to condemn you. Look at the whole verse. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He came to rescue us from our messes. He didn't come to get in your face and say, do you know what a mess you've made of your marriage? You probably have a relative that will do that. Do you know what a mess you made of your GPA? Do you know what a... Right? That's not God. God said, I sent Jesus to rescue you from our messes, which means if he's going to rescue me from my mess, if he's going to rescue you from your mess, it means he's going to rescue us from ourselves because our biggest messes almost always are our fault, our choice, right? Right? Okay. 
I want to tell you a couple of, um, show you a couple of uh, instances where Jesus interacted with messes. And I want you to watch these messes and I want you to see if you identify with any of these people who are messes. One day Jesus was, was teaching in the temple and, and the scripture says that he got there at dawn. Um, so very early in the morning, the temple was open. He comes up on the temple mount. He's teaching and some men drag a woman caught in the act of adultery in front of Jesus. Now, how did they catch her? Did they set a trap? I actually, I don't want to know, but it's really strange to me that they caught her in the act of adultery and they didn't bring the guy. Why didn't they bring the guy? Because he was just as guilty as a girl, but that's just questions that I have. They bring her before Jesus and they throw her down and they do not care at all about the woman caught in adultery. They care about trapping Jesus. Jesus has a brief conversation with them. He says, whoever's without stone, because the law said, if you're caught in adultery, you should be stoned. Rocks thrown, rocks thrown at you until you die. And Jesus says, okay, whoever's without sin, cast the first stone. And the Bible says that the older left first and then the younger, we don't know why. And then Jesus, drawing in the dirt, he looks up at the woman, and and this isn't in the scripture, but I think he waited until she made eye contact. And he says this to her. He says, where are your accusers? Does no one condemn you? She says, she looks around, nobody's there. Because I think she was shamed. No one, sir. Look what Jesus says. Then neither do I, what's that word? Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Do you realize where she was when, when her sin was made public? Church. Can you imagine dragging someone in here at this point and saying they were, no, 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 no. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn you. He didn't excuse her sin. He called it sin. And he said, you have the opportunity for a better life. If you'll look at me. Jesus is telling you the same thing. You have the opportunity not to be identified with your mess but to be identified with Jesus. But you have to look at Jesus, not look at your mess, not look at your accusers. Another time, Jesus was walking along a road in Jericho. Janie and I got to go to Jericho when we went to Jerusalem, uh, Israel last year. And Jericho is kind of a weird little town. It's not very big and there's not much there. There is an archaeological dig where they show you that, you know, when Joshua came into the promised land and they attacked Jericho and the walls fell down, they are digging all that stuff up. And it's pretty fascinating to go out there, but really it's just mounds of dirt with holes. And there's a little sign that says, this is what we found. And, you know, so it really was kind of boring. Um, and then, then we, uh, we went by, um, the tree where they say, this is the tree where Zacchaeus was. So Jesus is walking along this tree or walking along the road and he comes across this tree and he sees a tax collector in a tree. He's never seen a tax collector in a tree, right? And so he's in a sycamore tree. Did I get him out of order? Yeah, my bad. So he's up in a sycamore tree and Jesus looks up at him and he says, come down. Okay. So here's the deal. A tax collector, there were acceptable jobs that, that, um, a guy could have if a, if a dad was going to marry his daughter off to that guy. Tax collector was not one of them. That was not an acceptable profession. So if you come to me, you know, can I marry your daughter? You're a tax collector. No, no. Tax collector was actually lower than dung collector. I'm not making this up. There was actually a job called dung collector. And I didn't understand why you would need a dung collector until I went to Jerusalem. Here's Janie and me on the streets of Jerusalem. This is old Jerusalem. See how narrow the streets are? See how one, one you're, this is, this is the inside the walled part called old Jerusalem. And, and look how close the shops are. You don't drive a vehicle through there. 
back in the day, they didn't have vehicles, so they brought camels and donkeys and stuff. Can you see why a dung collector would be a, a, a very important job? And it was more acceptable to be a dung collector than a tax collector. Now, Zacchaeus was condemned by the religious people because they thought he would rather suck up to Rome and make money than he cared about his own country. And he was chief tax collector, which means he, he was good at his job. And he also had made, made messes of other people's lives. So he's in a tree. He's despised. And no, no self-respecting Jewish man would climb a tree in public because that was beneath him. So when we go to, to Jericho, they say, this is the tree that Zacchaeus is in. There's a wall. We didn't get to go. To, we stopped the van. And so we're going to get out and just look at the tree. I get out and, and, and no self-respecting American man would ever be seen in public like this. We stopped the van on the corner. They say, that's the tree. We don't know if it's the tree, but I mean, it's a sycamore tree. And we're right there. And this buddy just walks up and starts wrapping my head. And I'm like, no, dude, I don't want that. And everybody's like, yeah, we want a picture. And I said, you realize I'm going to have to buy this thing. So I talked him way down and, and, but anyway, I bought that. That's the only time I ever wore that next to the tree that supposedly Zacchaeus went up in. Jesus looks up at this man who's condemned and he says, I'm going to your house today. Come, come down to me. And because they'd already condemned Zacchaeus, they start condemning Jesus. He hangs out with sinners. And Jesus tells us a little bit later in the passage, he said, I came to seek and to save lost people. Zacchaeus was lost, so he became a priority in Jesus' eyes. He didn't care what the religious leaders said. And Zacchaeus was so moved because Jesus didn't condemn him that he gave half of his money to the poor and anybody he had ripped off, he paid them back with interest. Because when you come near to Jesus, the one who does not condemn you, it changes the way you see everything, including money. And he became generous because of his encounter with Jesus. Now, here's the next one. Look at this map. <clears throat> and there it is. So here's Samaria. Some of you know this, but the Samaritans were half-breeds. In the Old Testament, they were not supposed to marry anybody outside of the Jewish nation. And so if you married somebody outside the Jewish nation, especially these folks in Canaan, they, they started calling them a new breed. They were half-Jew, half-Canaanite. They're Samaritans. And so this was Samaria. Now, you can't really read the words here, but see this little dotted line? It says traditional route. Any Jew, a self-respecting Jew, would go the traditional route, wouldn't even step foot in Samaria because they were so disgusting to them. They had condemned the whole race because they didn't obey God in the Old Testament. So they would walk this way, even though it was much closer to walk through Samaria. Jesus one day leaves from Ephraim and goes up here to Jacob's well on purpose, unheard of for a Jew. And when he gets there, it's noon. And, and when we went to Jerusalem, the first few days that we were there, it was kind of cold. We had on jackets and everything. And then all of a sudden the sun came out and their, their climate's kind of like ours, but you also have to remember that the Dead Sea is the lowest place on earth. And when the sun comes out at the Dead Sea, it's hot. So nobody in their right mind would go to the well at noon to get water unless she was trying to avoid everybody else who would come in the cool of the morning or the cool of the evening. And when she gets there, she sees a Jewish man, Jew, Samaritan, game over. Rabbi, woman of ill repute, game over. She didn't expect him to look at her, maybe sneer at her. She never expected this Jewish man to speak to her, but Jesus came for this purpose. And he talked to her. He knew everything about her. He knew that she had been married five times. And that the man that she was living with now was not her husband. 
They have this whole long conversation. And every time it'd get a little bit personal, she would steer the, the conversation somewhere else. Some of you are really good at that when it gets personal. Oh, here's, let's change the subject. So at one point, Jesus is talking to her and she says, hey, change the subject. I know that Messiah is coming. And Jesus goes, I know I'm him. You need me. See, to the woman caught in adultery, he says, look at me. Look, look at me in the eye. I don't condemn you. Zacchaeus, he says, come down. I'm going to your house. And to this woman at the well, he says, I'm what you need. And then at the end of Jesus' life, he's hanging on a cross. And there's a man next to him whose life has been, he has been condemned to death on a cross. And Jesus looks at him and he says, today you're coming with me. You need to hear one of those messages I, I feel today. Look at me. Look at Jesus, not at your accusers. Um, come down to me. Let's, let's go to your house. You need me or you're coming with me. No matter how big your mess is, I want you to hear that Jesus offers you the same thing that he offered those messy people. And here it is. First thing is he offered himself as the solution. If you want to know what God says, read what Jesus said. If you want to know what God is like, look what Jesus did. Because Jesus said, I am the father of one. And, and Paul told the church in uh, Colossae, he said, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus is God. And what do we learn from Jesus about messy people? Here it is. He invited messy people to follow him while they were still messy. The biggest lie I hear all the time, the lie from hell that people believe is they have to clean themselves up before they come to church. I can't be a mess and come to church. That's not the way Jesus did. In fact, you can't clean yourself up enough to be acceptable in God's sight. God had to send Jesus to, to intercede for you so that you could be acceptable. Then he looks through Jesus at you and that's how you become acceptable to him. Right after the woman caught in adultery, Jesus said these words. He said, I am the light of the world. Because if you're in a mess, if you've gotten yourself in a mess today, you're in a dark place, you need a light. We talked about last week, Jesus' followers were called the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. He didn't shun messy people. He intentionally sought messy people out and said, follow me and I'll get you out of this mess. He says, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me. Because isn't it true that you didn't get into your mess by following Jesus? Right? You said no to your conscience. You said no to good advice. You said no to God's word. You ignored what you knew was right and you talked yourself into doing what was wrong. You knew it was wrong. You did it anyway. Now you're in a mess. Jesus said, if you'll follow me because you weren't following me into your mess. Jesus says, if you'll follow me now, I'll lead you out. The only way to get out of a mess is to follow someone who has more light than you. Jesus is the light. He doesn't hand you the light and say, go that way. He says, I am the light. As you stay close to me, I'll lead you out of the mess. So if you want to be out of your mess, here's the simple message. Follow Jesus. Jesus said, follow the light. If you want to avoid messes in the future, this is cool. You don't want to make messes in the future. You follow the light. Look what Jesus says. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, when we're in a mess, we don't want a light. We want an 800 number. We want roadside assistance. Hello? I've got a mess that I need you to come fix and I want you to get here as quickly as possible. I have things to do. And when they come, you want them to fix the mess. You don't even want to hang out with them. You might hold a light for them, but they fix the mess. Then you shake their hand, send them on the way and say, I'll let you know if I ever need you again, you be near the phone 
in case I need you, but I'll contact you. Your heavenly father loves you much too much to allow it to go that way. Your heavenly father has a bigger plan than you. He has a harder plan than your plan. He has a more fulfilling plan than your plan. And his plan cannot be accomplished by the occasional 800 number roadside assistance. God, I need you. Come fix this mess. God doesn't play that game. He says, follow me. Every good father wants a relationship with his children. I would rather have imperfect children who love me than perfect kids who can't stand me. And and don't get me wrong, your behavior is important, but your behavior is not the most important. I've been criticized because some folks think our church is easy on sin. But I heard somebody say one time, and this is kind of my philosophy, behavior modification is not my job. My job is to love you and teach you. The Holy Spirit's job is to change you. When you're trying to to modify someone else's behavior, you're trying to do the Holy Spirit's job. There's already somebody in that job and you don't qualify. We're supposed to love people, teach them, and allow God to change them. So you got to follow the light. Whoever follows the light will never walk in darkness. So your behavior is important, but it's not the most important. The most important thing to God is that you have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. So if you think God is some genie in a bottle, it's going to show up when you need him to fix it. You've got the wrong God. What does God want? He says, follow me. Well, what does that mean? Well, let me show you first how not to follow God. Let me show you how you got into your mess or how you get into a mess in the future. If you don't need, if you don't know how to do that, let me show you how you do that. Jesus is talking Matthew chapter seven, verse 26. And he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, he could have stopped right there and said, we'll end up in a mess. He didn't say that. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. If you build your house on the sand, what can you expect to happen to that house? If fall down, go boom. It's going to be a mess, right? We see it all the time. God is waiting for you to move towards him and say, God, my life is a mess. My marriage is a mess. My finances are a mess. My relationships are a mess. And I need you to help me. You didn't follow Jesus into the messes. So if you want to be in a mess, you ignore Jesus' teaching. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, huh, this is what following Jesus means. You want to not make messes in your future? You hear what Jesus says. You put them into practice. Abraham, I told you I've been studying the Old Testament in Genesis in particular. Abraham, God said, go to a land I'll show you. Abraham was in the the land of Haran, uh, the city of Haran. He, He probably had a house, probably had a nice house. God said, go to a land I will show you, the promised land. And he lived in tents the rest of his life. Probably a good tent, but it wasn't a house. He says, go to a land I'll show you. Abraham says, yes, Lord. Isaac, his son said, yes, Lord, Jacob. Now Jacob had some issues. He was a deceiver. He was a liar, but eventually he says, yes, Lord. And at that point, God changes his name to Israel. He becomes, that becomes the name of the whole nation, Israel. And then he had a son named Joseph. Joseph was radically obedient to God. Yes, Lord. Before he even knew what was going on. Yes, Lord. 
to God for Joseph got him sent into Egypt in slavery, got him thrown into a dungeon, but eventually he delivered the whole, actually the whole known world at that point came to him for food because God was with him. He said, yes, Lord. So he said, these men, if you want to be like them, if you want to be wise, they said, yes, Lord, before they even knew what the question was, I'm predeciding that I'm going to say yes to you, God, wherever you lead, whatever you say, yes, Lord. Now what's the question? Where do you want me to go? Here's how you follow everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. If you want to be a wise man, you say, yes, Lord, a wise man who built his house on the rock. The key word here is built. You do not build a house overnight. You don't remodel a skating rink overnight. Five and a half months almost killed me. I was here every day dusk, uh, from, from dawn until dusk. And, and you don't remodel something. You don't build something overnight. You didn't get into your mess overnight. You're probably not going to get it out of your mess overnight. You want a quick fix. There is no quick fix. If there was a quick fix, you'd be right back in your same mess again. What happens to children whose parents never let them suffer the consequences of their actions? Do they become productive adults? New. Usually it's not a very good thing. Jesus says, if you want to build something meaningful, you have to follow me. He's the way, he's the light. You get where you want to be in your marriage by following Jesus. You get where you want to be in your finances by following Jesus. In your friendships, in your job, by following Jesus. When we, when Rachel went to Haiti the first time, it was 2012, so we'd already been a couple of times. And she was 15, she had just turned 15, and you know, blonde hair, blue eyes, and scared to death. Haiti was very intimidating to her, because she'd never been in a foreign country where they spoke a foreign language. She was attached to my hip for the whole time we were on that trip. So we would get on a bus and Rachel would be either right beside me or right in front of me. She was, she, I never had to worry where Rachel was. When we would get off the bus, we would walk up the hill to Mariani. That was our work site where we were building the church and the school. Rachel was right beside me. If there was a crowd, Rachel would tuck right in behind me. She'd go, Daddy, I like how you block for me. I said, baby, I'll always block for you. We, we were at the uh, Houston Rodeo a few weeks ago, and uh, Hannah and, and Janie, Hannah wanted, I, what were you wanting to pet? I don't remember what, so, a llama. I, that's what I said. So she wanted to pet a llama. There was a petting zoo, and so Rachel's like, I can't miss the rodeo because Rachel's just, country and she didn't want to miss the beginning of the country concert. I don't remember who it was that we went to see. He was pretty good, but I have no clue. Don't remember. But anyway, Rachel, there's crowds. I mean, thousands and thousands of people. And Rachel said, daddy, I'm going to tuck in behind you. I said, baby, I will block for you. And we were moving through that crowd in Haiti. I never had to wonder where Rachel was because she was my shadow. She followed me. What would your life look like if you followed that closely to Jesus? you would not be in a lot of the messes that you're in because you didn't follow him in. The promise Jesus gives us is if you will follow, I will lead you out of your mess. Awesome. How long will that take? How long did it take you to get in your mess? How many of the chain reaction bad decisions did you make to get into your mess? Did it take you years to get in? It may take you years to get out. And you're like, oh, well, then I would just rather stay in my mess. I would just rather never fulfill the potential that God has for me because I'll just be messy the rest of my life. You don't have to be. You don't have to be defined by your past. Jesus promises that those who follow, 
that, that he will, well, let me show you what he promises. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yes, it, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Jesus says, if you'll follow close to me, yes, there's still going to be stuff that will happen. The rains are going to come. The water's going to rise, but your house will not be a mess because you built it on, on a rock. You are following closely. As I, as I studied this this week, I, <laughs> I got real emotional thinking about this and, and uh, you'll understand more in just a minute, but I got emotional thinking about the messes that people have and they don't have to stay in those messes. And when I read this verse, I immediately was reminded of Isaiah 43, two through three. And here's what that says. God is speaking and he says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze for I am the Lord, your God. If you follow closely, God says, no matter what happens, the rains will come down, the waters will rise, but you will make it through because God is with you. You're following next to the light. When, when Jesus is the light, he doesn't show you 10 steps down the road. He usually shows you one or two. If you're obedient to stay close to the light, then he fall, he moves. It's like your headlights in a car. You, you see so far as you drive, you see further as you follow, God's going to reveal more and more things to you. Now, here's the thing. You can't pray your way out of something that you have behaved your way into. You can't pray your way out of a mess that you've behaved your way into. This is what people think. Oh, I'm in a mess. God, come fix my mess. He doesn't work that way. There's no magic prayer. There's no roadside assistance. And don't you think for a second that, you, that, that the reason you can't pray your way out is because God doesn't care. God cared enough that he sent a light that shined brightly 2,000 years ago. And if you had been following that light, you would not be in the mess you're in today. So don't you dare tell me God doesn't care. You didn't care to follow the light. That's why you're in your mess. So you didn't follow, you didn't get in your mess by following Jesus, but you can follow Jesus out. That's the whole point I want you to remember today. How, how do I know this is true? Because I look at the life of Jesus and there were messes everywhere around Jesus, but Jesus didn't get involved in all those messes. Do you know the only ones he got involved in? It was the ones he knew were ready to follow him out. Think about it. People all the time say, well, I invited Jesus into my mess. Did you invite him in because you, you were ready to follow him wherever he led? Or did you invite him in because you were in a mess and you wanted him to fix it? God knows your heart. I'm not just giving you preacher talk today. This is, this is really meaningful and I, I want to prove it by this. Now don't write this down. Your four blanks that are coming up, don't write it down yet. I'll give you time to write it down in a minute. But I want you to respond verbally, either grunt or say yes. If you're real old school, you can say, oh, amen. I don't know. You respond in some way. If this is your story, you respond verbally. All right. Here it is. I messed up. I gave up. I looked up. God showed up. How many of that's your story? Let me hear you. Verbal, verbal. You know why I know that's true? Because that's every Christ follower's story. At some point, people say it took the mess to arrange the meeting with the Savior. And the reason some of you are still in a mess is because you're not ready to follow him out. If you will give your heart and your life to him and you'll say, I'm ready to follow, God will lead you out. Because see... 
Our messes get worse when we try to hide them or we try to fix them or we try to excuse them. But when we admit them, God shows up. We reach up and he grabs our hand and he leads us out. I want you to start listening to Christ follower stories and you're going to hear this over and over. It took the mess to, to arrange a meeting with Jesus. Now, today I'm going to ask you to do something that Jesus asked Matthew to do, that he asked the, the uh, Zacchaeus to do, that he asked the woman at the well to do. I'm going to ask you to publicly identify with Jesus. I'm a mess who's ready to follow Jesus out of my mess. In just a second, not yet. The whole reason you've even heard of Matthew is because one day Jesus was walking along. Matthew was at a tax collector's booth. He was condemned. He was scorned by everybody. Jesus walked up. Everybody knew Matthew was a mess. Jesus said, follow me. Matthew stood up, left his life behind, followed Jesus out of his mess. The whole reason you've heard about Zacchaeus is because he was a mess in a tree. And Jesus stops and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house today. And Zacchaeus followed Jesus out of his mess. The woman at the well, this is awesome. She was a mess. Jesus didn't even have to ask her to do anything because when she realized he was the Messiah, she took her water jar, something that was very near and dear to her. She set it down. She runs back into town to talk to the people that she had avoided most of her life because they've condemned her. She said, I just met a man who like you knows everything about my past, but unlike you, he does not condemn me. Could this be the Messiah? And the Bible says that these people ran out to meet Jesus. And after meeting Jesus, they said, we believed at first because this woman who who avoided us comes in and said, I've met the Savior. They said, now we believe because we are here with you. They followed him out of their messes. So we're going to do something that's a little bit different today. And and I'm going to ask you to identify publicly. If you're willing to admit that you're a mess and you're ready to follow Jesus out of your mess. I'm going to ask you to stand up where you are. And if you want me to pray about your mess, I want you to write on the back of your card and I want you to come up here and lay it on the altar as a sign publicly. I'm following you, Jesus, out of my mess. We're going to listen to this song You can stay there. You can come to the altar. Whatever you need to do to identify with Jesus.
It's okay to stay here if you're praying. Uh, I can't, I can't listen to that song without becoming emotional. When I first heard it, um, we were going through a, a mess as a family, and and I sat up here on my stool and I just played it over and over. And and the words of Isaiah 43 are what God used to connect to my heart and lead me out of the mess. And that's the message for you today: is God wants to lead you out of the mess, but you've got to, you got to be ready to follow. So I'm going to have the guys play the video again. If folks want to stay here, that's awesome. If you want to stay in here, that's cool. I'm going to ask you to leave silently if you're going to be dismissed and uh, and and don't talk till you go out there because God is working on people in here. Go ahead, guys. You're dismissed.